Hey, good morning, and welcome to East Bay Calvary. What a great morning already, huh? It really has been. I tell you, it's so much better today than last week when your Detroit Lions beat my New York Giants. <laughs> I'm just here to tell you, there's some people in this room that are not nice. <laughs> We've already had an elders meeting about it, so um, <clears throat> we should be all set. And we also took a survey last week, and uh, the, in the back of your, um, on the back side of your worship folder was a survey, and we talked about <clears throat> why do you feel people and churches struggle with purpose, with their true purpose? And I want to give you some of the results that, these are the results that you came out with, and, uh, and here, within 10% were the top three reasons why we feel people and churches struggle with purpose. And the number one reason you stated why people and churches struggle with their true purpose is number one, we don't pray and depend on God for our true purpose. Number two, this is all within 10%. Number two, we have passion for things other than our true purpose. And, and that's certainly rings a bell with all of us too. So many things can distract us and pull us away and our attention away from our true purpose. Then number three was we don't know our true purpose. And I think that's a reality for all of us. Um, some people and the church especially today is not really locked in and engaged on their true purpose. Number four, we think small and don't imagine all God can do in the purpose. And then number five is we struggle with lasting passion and become impatient for results. And those were your survey results from last week. We're going to talk a little bit about them at the very, very end of our time together. So why are we dealing with mission? Why are we talking about mission today? And I want to give you a few reasons. Um, these are not necessarily on your study guide. If you want to find a place to sketch them in on the side, you certainly may. Why do we talk about mission? And I really believe we live in a day and age, and especially with church, we can no longer assume that everyone knows and is locked into the same mission. Our world is post-Christian, and many things that we could assume and I could assume in my growing up years about church and Christianity no longer can be assumed for popular culture. And, and I know... Um, I had plenty of illustrations for this, and one, there was a young man about seven years ago that I led to Christ. He was in his mid-20s, and I pulled him into my office, and he was going through a number of issues, and we talked about it, and I mentioned to him, you know what, exactly what these folks talked about in baptism. You need to put your faith and trust in Jesus. You need to be forgiven of all this mass of stuff that you just brought into me today. That needs to be wiped clean, and the only way that happens is through Jesus that he came to earth and he died on the cross for you and for me. He died to forgive us of all of our sin, pay our penalty. And this young man came to the realization of that. And in my office that day, he trusted Christ. So I ended up, <clears throat> at the end, I said, you know what? Here's a book I give to you. And I handed him a book. It's How to Live the Christian Life and, and uh, by George Sweeting. And I handed it to him. I said, here's how you live the Christian life. Here's how you start. And I said, you, you need to read some in your Bible. You need to pray. You need to be, 
become a part of a church community. And I mentioned those things to him, and I hand this book to him, and he grabbed that book. Here he is. I tell you, it's in his mid to late 20s. And he grabbed that book, and he looked at it. No joke. Here's what he told me. So is this the Bible? And my heart just sunk. I'm like, man, I don't even know if I know my world anymore. One time I uh, got my hair cut. I do that about once every eight months. It's not funny, people. Why do you? <laughs> and I remember there's this gal that was cutting my hair, and she was, she was in her last month of pregnancy, and so there is no way she could cut my hair without her belly bumping up against me. And, um, and I've always enjoyed those times, my wife and I, through every one of our pregnancies. And, um, and so I'm making conversations with her, and, and she mentions to me, <clears throat> uh, I said, when you do, and she mentioned the due date, and uh, we're chatting back and forth. And I said, you know, if you're having a boy or girl, and she said, we're having a, a boy. And I said, oh, great. And, uh, and I said, do you know a name and all that? And are you telling people? She said, yeah, we're naming him Darius. I said, oh, Darius, isn't that neat? I said, you know, that's a name in the Bible. And she goes, oh. And, and I thought, let's make some conversation here and maybe I can get things going in the direction of Jesus. I said, it's a name in the Bible. And I said, it was a Persian king in the Bible. She says, oh. And I said, you know, and it all centered around the story of Daniel and the lion's den. I'm thinking, everyone's heard of Daniel and the lion's den. I said, so... You remember Daniel in the lion's den? She said, no, never, never heard of it. And I'm realizing, gang, we need to talk about mission because our world today is different. And we no longer can assume, oh, we're all on the same page. We may not be. We got to talk about it. Here's a few other reasons, and um, I'm going to move through these. We're strongest when we all move in the same direction. We are strongest when all of us link arms and move in the same direction. So much better for 400 people to be advancing together toward a unified mission than 400 people just doing what we would like to do and what we think would be good. We all gotta move in the same direction. Here's number three. Because God's mission is more important than any other mission. You know, I'm just trying to think, so what could we do that's more important than God's mission for us? And I'm gonna give you that answer, nothing. There's absolutely nothing we can do that's more important than God's mission for us. This mission is so important to him that he sent, he sent Jesus to be beaten and tortured for our sin. That's how important this mission is to him. And if it's that important to him, it needs to be that important to us to link with. Here's the next one, number four. Another reason why we deal with mission, 90%. 90% of churches are losing ground. And Tom Rayner wrote in his book, Who Moved My Pulpit, 90% of Protestant churches are either declining or they are growing more slowly than the communities in which they are located. 90% of churches are losing ground. And just, just to be real with us, and I just want to be candid as, as a leader here within the church, we're one of those churches, folks. And we've got to link in with mission. This needs to be significant to us. And here's number five, because the world at its worst needs the church at its best. 
Have you noticed our world's getting a little screwy? You, you, you realize that? And can I just share with us all, I don't think politics is going to bail us out. And I really believe God didn't create politics to be the hope of the world. God created the church to be the hope of the world. And I agree with whoever said amen. I am right there. How about the rest of us, huh? It's the church needs to be the hope of the world. And how does all this get turned around? Well, the world at its worst needs the church at its best. And so the cool thing is, no matter where we are right now, God can bring us to a unified vision to greater effectiveness, and that's what we're going to be dealing with today. So grab your Bible, would you, and turn to the book of Matthew. Turn to the book of Matthew in chapter 28. And we're going to be talking in here about the significance of Christ's mission for the church and I want to tell you, no matter where you feel you are right now, you know what? I don't know that we're really doing our mission. I don't know that I really feel that I'm accomplishing God's mission. No matter where you are right now, the last chapter doesn't have to be your last chapter. Now, great, the last chapter, it doesn't have to be your last chapter. We can write a new chapter together. And one where we as individuals and even as a church ministry link with our mission and move on together, I, I want to read for you a short biography of, of someone, and let's see if you know who this is. Talk about struggling and then finally succeeding here. Listen to this guy's biography. He had a difficult childhood. He had less than one year of formal schooling. He failed in business in 1831. <clears throat> He was defeated for the legislature in 1832. Again, he failed in business in 1833. He was elected to the legislature in 1834. His fiance died in 1835. He was defeated for speaker in 1838. He was defeated for elector in 1840. He was married in 1842, yet his wife had so many troubles. Only one of his four sons lived past age 18. He was defeated for Congress in 1843, elected to Congress in 1846, defeated for Congress in 1848, defeated for Senate in 1855, defeated for Vice President in 1856, defeated for Senate in 1858 then elected to the President of the United States in 1860. And that person was? Abraham Lincoln, exactly. But you'd think, man, Abe, hang it up, buddy. This is not going well for you. But he was a man that his last chapter didn't have to be his last chapter. And here we are today, we're gonna uncover this mission. It's simple. It's compelling. I want to give you the same mission Jesus had when he walked the top of this crust. So let's stand together. We're going to read this passage of scripture together, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. You could read it on the screen. I know we're on the same translation that way. Here's how it goes. Let's read it together. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always. And Father, before we sit down, we have some serious, awesome, and inspiring work to do in your word today. May this not be merely a study. But God, may this be a commissioning for all of us to lock into why you have created us, why we are here in this room, and why we call ourselves East Bay Calvary Church. May we be all about your mission. May your kingdom come, not ours. To you be the honor and glory forever and ever. All these space said, amen. Hey, have a seat. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, our mission, and God's mission for us is very simple, and it's just this phrase. It's as simple as what I could ever come up with. And here's the phrase for us. God's mission for the church, his mission for us as believers is this, more and better disciples. It's just that. More and better disciples. And Jesus set this mission for us in these specific verses right here, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And you want to know, so how could he be the one to set the mission? Why didn't someone else set the mission? And I'm just going to give it to you straight. Colossians 1, 18 and 19 says, and he, speaking of Jesus, is the head of the body. He's the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. He's the head of the body of the church. And I love that phrase from my childhood. You remember that? Oh, so who died and made you king? Remember that one? And, and to that question, Jesus would say, me. I died and I am the king. I'm the head of the body. I'm the church. And here's the mission. And he gave us the identical mission that was his mission when he was on this earth. And it is more and better disciples. I just want to break our study into two sections. The first section, guess what it is? It's more disciples. And let's see how smart you are this morning. The second section will be better. Wow, you guys are, you're great. Let me tell you, you're really something else. Here's the first part of our mission, God's mission for the church. It's more disciples. And if you look here at Matthew 28, 19 and 20, I, I want you to see something. I know we're going to get a little technical, slightly academic this morning, but this is significant because most translations read this way. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And when we look at the translation that way, it looks like the main verb is go. I want you to go. When actually, if we peel this back and we look at this in the language it was written in Jesus' time, I want to give you the main verb that is here in the text. And then there are three participles that surround it, that magnify that verb. So the main verb is not go. 
fact, today I want you to stay. Here's what the main verb is. The main verb here is make disciples. Make disciples. And the three participles are going, baptizing, and teaching. Going, baptizing, and teaching. And so let's just look at this main verb right here, make disciples. The implication of this is significant. Help one become a follower of Jesus. So the idea is the people that we're dealing with were not disciples in the first place. And Jesus says, I want you to go to people who are not disciples, who are not followers, and I want you to help them to become a follower or a disciple of me. So the main verb is to make disciples. Jesus was all about, in this section, reproduction. I don't want what I've done with you to end with you. I want what I've done with you to go on to other people and for other people to follow me because of you, to make disciples. Now, this shouldn't surprise us because this is why Jesus came. Jesus stood in front of all these folks and he said, you want to know why I came? I came to seek and to save who? That which was lost. It's no surprise. He came to seek and save that which is lost. And then he turned to Peter later on in his ministry and he says, you know what? I'm going to build my church. I'm going to grow this assembly and the gates of hell cannot hold it back. We are going to advance. And so there's no big surprise. Jesus was all about this specific mission. We are here to make disciples. So the idea of more disciples shouldn't surprise us. And here's the other thing. The disciple-making command was given to disciples. So if we're a disciple, this command is for us. And you know, it mentions go and make disciples. Well, the reality is the participle really should say it this way. So as you are going, make disciples. The, the command is for us, disciples of Jesus, and it's not just a Sunday command, and it's not just a special event command. The command is, as you are going. So I'm going to tell you where we make disciples. We make disciples at Meyer. Make disciples with your neighbor. Make disciples with your family. Make disciples with your coworkers. Wherever you go. Our job is to connect with people, to influence them to be followers of Jesus Christ. It's for every one of us to be involved in. It's not just a special event. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's when you're at the mall, when you're at school, when you're at college, when you meet a stranger. We look at these folks and we realize these people are God's mission for me, and Acts 1.8 says it well, it's not that the church is a witness, it says you individuals are my witnesses. Jesus said it well, he said, let your light shine before men that they'll see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We all are to be making more disciples as we are going. Now I'm going to give you a few things that people have said to me who have been antagonistic about this specific command. 
I've talked with people and I've said, you know what? God's command for us is to make more disciples. And some struggle with this. I'm going to tell you some of the things I've heard. Here's one I've heard. Oh, they're just all about numbers. I don't know. Have you ever heard people say that? Oh, they're just about the numbers. I want to give you a few truths through this. I think these are even on your worship folder there for notes. Here's number one. Numbers are people. You realize that? Numbers are people. And I've heard people say, oh, they're just about numbers. Well, numbers are people. Now, when my wife and I were engaged and we were talking about marriage and family and a home and ministry, of all that we talked about, we never really came up with a number of children. Maybe we should have. I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, you remember going through some of those days and you're like, oh, how many, how many do you want? I don't know, how many do you want? You know. And so uh, we never said, oh, let's have seven. Uh, and we knew full well how many we were having. It's not like we lost count, folks, you know, <laughs> like we're pregnant. Oh, this would be five. No, it's not. It's seven. What? You know, <laughs> you know we, we, we knew what was happening here. We kept track. We really did. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, we didn't have numbers. We had children. And when you talk about having kids, you know, you say, we're going to, we want three children, not the number three, you know, congratulations. You just birthed the number three. You know, you didn't birth a number. You birthed a child. And so when we look at numbers, I know some people say, oh, numbers, they're all about numbers. They just want to keep track and just have more and more attendance. I don't want to have more and more attendance. I just want to have people. I want to touch people with the gospel. And here's a phrase that's resonated with me. <clears throat> numbers are important to us because numbers represent people and people are important to God. Amen. People are important to God and they're important to us. Here's number two. <clears throat> Crowds are people. I know this sounds really simple. But some people struggle with growth and with the Great Commission because I don't like crowds, you know. And I've heard of that. I was in a meeting once with a number of individuals and I was sharing to them my passion for developing church and growing church. And I'm like, wouldn't this just be great and that God would help us to reach so many more people and we can grow them and then they can reach more people? I'm going through all this, and I remember one, one woman said to me, oh, just wait till I die. And I was talking about praying. You know, we need to pray. Pray the Lord the harvest, and he'll send forth labors. And I mentioned all this. She goes, just wait till I die. I don't want to go through all of this. And then I thought, boy, how should I be praying then? Um, wow. Some people, I don't like lots of people. I get overwhelmed in groups. Large groups make things inconvenient. 
All the parking gets difficult. My special seat. I have to wait for the restroom. No, but when it comes to people coming to Jesus, where's the cutoff point? Hmm? Where do we say, that's enough? We reached our quota. I think we're fine. It looks pretty full in here. And who says my comfort zone is the next cutoff point? You know, I think I've had to wait enough for parking. Let's put a halt on this. God kind of liked crowds. In uh, Acts 2, it mentions about 3,000 people believed and were baptized that day. That sounds like a pretty good crowd. Acts 5, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Were the miracles Jesus did, one of the most popular, let's see if you remember it, was the feeding of the, of the 5,000. Crowds matter if they represent people who become disciples of Jesus Christ. And if one struggles with crowds, I always love to tell them this, boy, I struggle with crowds, I'll say, you know what? You better work on that or you're gonna have a tough time in heaven. You know, I think there's a crowd up there and I don't think they have this little section. You know, this is for the people that don't like crowds back here. Here's number three. Just some thoughts about more disciples. People reach people. People reach people. I'm going to tell you right now the best evangelism strategy for reaching our world for Jesus Christ. It's you. I've been in this 25 years. I've never found a better strategy than a person who really loves Jesus and wants to tell other people. On the converse, I've never seen someone who rubbed up against believers that were terrible but still wanted to come to Christ because of a great event. Never heard anyone say, man, the Christians I know are horrible, but I'm gonna come to Jesus because I just love that cantata. You know, it just doesn't go that way. The best strategy that I've ever seen in my life for reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ are genuine, authentic believers that love God. And so people reach people. Biblical outreach is not when our church sends your neighbor a flyer. Biblical outreach is when you reach your neighbor and biblical outreach isn't when I put something up on a billboard saying, come to church. Biblical outreach is when you go to the people you know and say, hey, come with me. Let's do this together. People reach people. Here's another one. Everything that affects people is important. This is all about more disciples. We talk about reaching people. Numbers, they're people. Crowds are people. People reach people. Everything that affects people is important. <clears throat> And you realize when someone comes here into this facility, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> before they ever hear a person up here speak, 
They come into the parking lot. They see signs. They get met with a greeter. They see the cleanliness of our facility. They see what our bulletin looks like. They see people who may talk to them or may not talk to them. They hear our music. They see the announcements. They go through all of these things long before they end up hearing the gospel. And that's why we talk about this. Everything that affects people is important to us. We don't trust in these things to bring people to Christ, but we want to do things with relevance and with excellence since they can add or detract from the mission God's called us to do. So the first half of our mission, more disciples, more disciples. Second half, here we go. Let me jump into it. Better disciples, better disciples. So there you are in our text, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Therefore, it says, go and make disciples. So this idea is connect with people who are not yet disciples and help bring them to the point where they are now followers of Jesus Christ. And it's as you're going But not only do we bring people to an understanding of Jesus, now it's the idea they need to grow and we all need to grow. Some churches are all about more. Some churches are all about, man, we just want more, more, more. Other people, other churches may not even care about more. It's all about, we just want to be stronger Christians. So I want you to realize the Bible, these are not mutually exclusive. God wants us to do both. And here's three verses they're right there on your sheet, but um, these are important verses. Look at these here. Like Acts 6-7 mentions, so the word of God spread. Now catch this. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became <laughs> obedient to the faith. Numbers increased more. Obedient to the faith, better. Here's another one, Acts 9-31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened better disciples. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers more disciples. Acts 16.5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, better disciples, and grew daily in numbers. Better, more, more, better. Both of them going in, it's God's design for a healthy church. And so God's mission for us is not merely more, it's more and better. Now here's some ways we make better disciples. And they are the other two participles here within the text. It says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And here's two things. Let's see if you figure them out. We already did one this morning. The first one is, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then the second one is teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. I'm just going to give these to you quick. And then I want to finish up with something that I hope will be an encouragement to you. Two ways we make better disciples. Number one, encouraging commitment to Jesus. That is public. It's public. We already did it this morning baptism. Baptism is one way to go public with your faith. 
The Jews had baptism in what was called the mikvah. And they had to go through this, this water hole almost every time they came into the temple as a symbol of cleansing. And so here they would go through this over and over. So baptism was important to the Jews, but Jesus did something different with baptism. And he said, there were two things. One was the location. You know, when Jesus was baptized, he was right out in, right out in the public. And everyone saw. And then the second one, it wasn't about ceremonial cleansing and it wasn't um, about the, the rites and ceremonies. It was ultimately a statement of allegiance to Jesus and the Godhead. And so he would say, when you're baptized, I want you to be baptized and say it with me in the name of the, the Father, the, and the, and so it was an allegiance to, to God. He says, I want you to go public. I want everyone to know. There should be no secret. And so he says, in becoming a better disciple, this is a public thing. There's no behind the scenes. There's no secret Christian. And then beyond that, he says, then we need to go through what's teaching them is. And, and so he says, in teaching them, notice not to know, teaching them to obey or to observe and so ultimately, for better disciples, it's not merely amassing knowledge. It's here's our opportunity to understand so that way we can obey the things that God wants us to do. Better disciples are those that are public with their faith and where we encourage commitment to Jesus that is life-changing. That's the other one in your bulletin there. Life-changing. We observe, we do, we obey. Three quick things. What makes for better disciples? Number one, we aim at the heart, not just the head. We aim at the heart, not just the head. Most people are educated far beyond their obedience. We aim at the heart. We emphasize, number two, the greatest objectives. I'm going to tell you the two greatest objectives. We're going to talk about them down the road. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. Jesus, when he was pitted up in a corner with the Pharisees, they said, so what are the two, what, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, I'm gonna give you two. First one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two greatest things we could ever do. We aim at the heart, not the head. We emphasize the two greatest objectives. Number three, we grow in community. We grow in community. This is something we're going to be talking down the road. We grow better in community when we have true relationship with others. We encourage other people to grow. Churches can't happen merely in classrooms. I believe church happens in a tremendous way in living rooms. It happens in the dining room. And people need to come in contact with some of the greatest things God's given to our church, and that is each other. God's mission is more and better. <clears throat> it's like a target. And you know, it's not the amount of arrows you fling. It's not the amount of activity that you have as a church. Ultimately, when we talk about being effective, we want to really be able to lock in on what our mission is as a church. We want to take really good aim, and we want to be able to hit exactly where God wants us to be 
And so the mission of God, our target that we need to hit and evaluate our church by ultimately is more and better. More and better followers of Jesus Christ. It's for all of us. It's not merely a church event. It's for people individually to have the target in mind. And sometimes church gets in the way of the mission, as crazy as it sounds. Sometimes we get too busy. Sometimes we get too loud. Sometimes we get intimidated. Sometimes we don't know what to do. It's kind of like the story I heard uh, there's a small church on the East Coast and a pastor had uh, delivered a sermon on reaching those without Jesus. And after the sermon, a German man who lived in Nazi Germany told of this experience. I give it to you this morning. Here's what he says. I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. I considered myself a Christian. We heard stories of what was happening to the Jews but we try to distance ourselves from it because, you know, what could we do anyway? It said a railroad track ran behind the small church, and each Sunday morning we could hear the whistle in the distance and then the wheels coming over the tracks, and we became disturbed when we heard the screams coming from the train as it passed by. It says, and instantly we realized it was carrying Jews like cattle in cars. He said, week after week, the whistle would blow and we dreaded to hear the sound of those wheels coming because we knew we would hear the screams of the Jews en route to the death camps and their screams tormented us. And we knew the time the train was coming when we heard the whistle blow and so we began to sing hymns. And by the time the train came past our church, we were singing at the top of our voices and if we heard the screams, we sang more and more loudly so we would hear them no more. He finished, he says, years pass and no one talks about it anymore. But I still hear the train whistle in my sleep. He says, God, forgive me. Forgive all of us who call ourselves Christians and yet did nothing while these people perished. If I give you three things, these are from your survey. What can we take away with us? Here's number one. This, this, you, you mentioned it, and I agree with you. We need to pray for our mission, friends. We need to pray for our mission. God, help me make more and better disciples. Help me make more and better disciples. Don't say, God, help my church to come up with a great program to do this. God, help me. I'm going out there today into my world. Help me. Give me eyes to see people around me that need you and that I can help grow. Number two, focus on people. <clears throat> that brings passion. We talked about having passion for other things. I'm gonna tell you one thing that will ignite your passion for more and better disciples, and that's put a face with it. Yesterday in our elders meeting, I said, you know what drives me for our mission of more and better disciples? I've got seven. 
It's Brielle, Bethany, Brenna, Bryn, Briley, Landon, Bryson. And you need to put faces with your mission. And when you do, all of a sudden, there's some passion involved. Focus on people, that brings passion. And then here's the last one, have mission memory. We forget our mission. And that was the third thing on your survey. We don't know it. We forget our mission. Have mission memory. Maybe write it down. Warm better disciples. Put it in your Bible. Put it on the fridge. Put it in your car. Wear a bracelet or something that will remind you. But whatever it is, have mission memory. Realize I am going out and I am always on mission. I need to remember my, or remind myself of that. Have mission memory. This is our mission. It's our mission as a church. It's our mission as individuals. And I'm going to tell you when it starts. Right now. How about we stand together? Father, a simple, a very simple, yet compelling mission you've given to us. Help us be on it. May we be focused. God, may we remember it and use us as very special parts of what you are doing in the world. And just help us to do it here in this area. May we be on mission. God, thank you for giving us purpose and that this world isn't about us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Two prayers God will always answer. The first one I wouldn't recommend it is, God, give me patience. That's a tough one. But here's another one. God, give me someone to be your mission to this week. I guarantee you, you pray that, he will have someone in your life that you can be on mission with this week. Wouldn't that be awesome, huh? You have a target, and I do too. It's the same target. We just all got to be on it. It's more and better disciples. Let's all be at it. Hey, we had some better disciples today, eight of them. They got baptized. If they would go to the back and stand over here, hey, we, let's encourage them, church, as we go out. Shake their hand, love on them, congratulate them. These are big steps for them, whether old or young. And let's, uh, let's be a part of that and greet them in the back. Uh, if you want, go ahead right now if you're not out there yet. Go on out there, you guys, so we can, uh, we can encourage you. And Father, as they go, your blessing on this place, on these people, help us be on mission every day this week. Use us in this awesome thing, the church, the hope of the world. Thanks for calling us a part of it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless your day.